but we're going to see essentially a transformation, a social transformation, very deep changes in our politics and our society to the point where I, I think it will literally probably be seen in the long view of history, let's say in 50 or 100 or you know even 500 years from now, we'll be seeing how we really start shifting to a different kind of civilization. The changes are going to be so profound. Welcome to Leadership Disrupted. I'm your host, Ahmad Mansour. Today, we're fortunate to have someone who can help us make sense of the world that's happening today. He's a guy that comes with a load of experience, starting as a journalist, as a futurist, as an editor, um, as an entrepreneur. But what I like to consider him is as a mobilizer of people, people that think about the world differently. So I want to welcome Peter Leiden. How's it going, what, man? What a wonderful introduction. I don't think I've ever been introduced <laughs> like that, but that I like it. I'm going to have to take that for future reference and use it in other contexts. But thank you for having me here. And it's good to see you again. Absolutely. Uh, well, I know we go well, back, you know we go back away, so it's all good. Well, you know, we've we've kind of accumulated a couple of stories that, that, oh, we yeah. could, you know, if, if we were sitting <laughs> down with a group of people, you know, we can tell a great story about how we met. <laughs> Absolutely. But I don't know if you really want to go into the stories here. Maybe. No, you do, but no, maybe no. We I, I, well, I'm just well, all of those stories I'm proud of. But yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I did mention Mobilizer. Yeah, that and, was an interesting one. Well, I. I wanted to put that in because I, I thought it would be interesting and wondered whether you would actually see yourself as such, because what I find is that people, when you put out the invitation, people come and they really see you as a convener around issues that are of the day and that matter. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I would never... You know, in terms of my bio or something, I don't say I'm a mobilizer, but that's why I thought it was intriguing because that was what jumped out at me. And it's an intriguing idea. And it's one that, you know, when you say it the way you just said it, uh, I'll cop to it. Yes, that's true. I must say it's taken, you know, it takes time to build the reputation and to build the network out and to actually get people to trust you like that. But I would say probably over the last well, I've been building essentially that network and that reputation in the Bay Area here since I moved here about 25 years ago uh, to San Francisco and, and the Bay Area. And, um, and then in the last 20, even 10 years, uh, through various startups I've had or other media uh, things and gatherings, I've had this, I know what's now San Francisco, we used to have a monthly gathering for about five years and anyhow, various things. Uh, it has been an opportunity for me to 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 to, to put out big questions to invite really remarkable innovators to talk about that. And then through uh, the other people into the meeting and the gatherings, you know, bring together a really interesting cross currents of people from different fields and you're among those. And so we've had many different opportunities to do that, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I'd like to do that. That's what I love to do. And I will say no one's there's a, there's a saying that Kevin Kelly, who I worked with, uh, in fact, hired me for the original Wired magazine. He's one of the founders of Wired. He said, no one's as smart as everyone. 
And that saying to me is something I've really held dear for my whole life, which is I'm not going to be the only person that's going to be able to figure out the future or figure out what's really going on now. It's like, let's bring together other kind of innovative, creative brains and, and together we'll actually figure this out. So, so that's, that's a true way to go. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is I was listening to John Hagel um, maybe about six months ago, and he makes this distinction between uh, of the, for where the firm should be now. He talks about its history being about scalable efficiency. Mm-hmm. And now he says that it should be about scalable learning. Hmm. And part of that ideal of scalable learning is based on the ability to use your network, use the crowd, mm-hmm. you know, to engage uh, in, you know, courageous, collaborative conversations. And um, and that's how I think of your work. Like mm-hmm. you have been able to bring people together to really do uh, some scalable learning, some scalable thinking. And, um, and, I, and I feel like I've always benefited from that. Well, but, you. you know, one, one of the things that I, I wanted to uh, hit on here is your background, um, because by title, and I'm sure you have many, but one of the most provocative titles for someone like you is being called a futurist. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's a term that often generates a question, what is a futurist? <laughs> so how would you answer that? Now, I, I have an answer for it, but I'm really curious how you would answer that. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I I'm at a juncture in my career here where essentially with the pandemic, like a lot of people, I, I it, the pandemic was a closure of not only uh, my last company, my last startup media company called uh, reInvent. Pandemic uh, was really shut it down, basically. Sure. Uh, but it also kind of rebooted me into my next phase of my what I'm going to do here. And so part of what I was thinking about that, I was literally thinking about nouns, like what are my nouns? And one of the problems with me is I've got a lot of nouns that would describe me. Um, and so I've been an entrepreneur. I've been a founder. I, I, I've been an author of books. I've been a speaker of all kinds of different speaking things. I've you know, been a writer. I've been a host of the interview shows. Uh, I've been, anyhow, all kinds of different ways. I've been an advisor to companies. And there's a bunch of things I've done. So I was trying to think of what are my nouns. But futurist is a tricky one because that... Some people really bounce off that word. And I've always had a struggle with that a little bit. And I'm not the only one that is a serious person thinking systematically and rigorously about the future and learning and pushing my learning about the future about as far as, you know, people can go. Um, And uh, when you use the term futurist for whatever historical reasons or cultural reasons or whatever, people think of it as as kind of um, they don't take it as seriously as other kind of nouns of people. What are they? An entrepreneur or a founder or an author or whatever. And so I've been cautious about using that word futurist. But that said, as I've kind of come around to saying, yeah, I guess that's what I am. And, and, and or at least one way to think about it, because I have really spent kind of my entire life, but I would say certainly in the last 25 years of my career, I've really been spent an inordinate amount of my time, if not the predominant amount of my time thinking about the future and figuring out how to learn better about the future, uh, get better insights into the future, and to find ways to communicate 
what I'm learning about the future to various audiences. So I, it's either what's probably coming, which is kind of the kind of, okay, what do you think what's probably coming, but also what's possible to achieve? Because I'm always interested in not just, okay, what's coming in the next 10, 20, even 30 years, but it's more like what, given our tools, given the state of human knowledge, what would it be possible for us to achieve? And I think that piece of the future is one that a lot of people don't really think about as much as I do. And it's that, how do we get to this better future piece that, I've, that I'm really most interested in about the future? So those two things combined, I'll often speak about it, I'll write about it, I'll advise about it, I'll convene people around it. it that's the thing. But it is always about the future and often tilted towards how do we get to a better future? Well, it sounds like you need to embrace futurists. I mean, if you play the piano, <laughs> if you if you play the piano, you're a pianist, right? So, exactly. Um, uh, so, I mean, you know, I mean, what what I what I often hear the reluctance around embracing the term futurist, I think, is because people have a tendency to associate it with prediction, yeah, and um, or they will associate it with um, you know, someone who is a, you know, um, fortune teller, yeah. <laughs> sort of say, right. Yeah. But I mean, the, but the being a futurist is so valuable because especially with the work that you've done, um, at the global business network, yeah. a lot of the work was really around facilitating conversations that bought out stakeholders vision of what, yeah. what they can see as possibility. And that's that, that's a craft, and and we'll get into it in this conversation related to your work. But that 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 indeed is a craft that is needed in this time more than ever. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about that. I completely agree so, with that. Mm-hmm. So I want to switch since you you did mention the the pandemic. Um, so <laughs> you know what usually happens when there is a pandemic, and this is or when there is a a big crisis. Uh, you know, the the, the heretics um, come out and they either, you know, they, they start talking about a post-pandemic world. So my question to you is, is that just a default reaction or is this time something serious enough to really take that statement uh, um, seriously? I, I honestly think... Um we're kind of fortunate in some way that we had to go through this pandemic. And that's, that's not, you know, minimizing the pain and the sorrow and the deaths and the, you know, trauma and everything. And then the lost economic opportunities, all the stuff that happened through it. So, so that's to be fair, that's, I'm not wishing that on us, but given that it happened and we went through it and, and we're at least still going through it. uh, I think in some respects it was, it's been an incredibly good, kind of cathartic experience for America and the world at large, I think. And I think we're just really starting to th- see the the long-term um, benefits at some level of it. I mean, clearly downsides, a lot of people focus on that. But I think there's uh, there's a lot of positives to come out of this. And, and I think it really did stop, uh, again, depends how you want to think about it in American terms or global terms, but it just, the world stopped. The system as it existed really got just stopped in a way that made us all really think deeply about what are we doing? What have we been doing? What do we want to really do? Where do we want to go? If we reboot this economy, if we 
build it, you know, out of this? How are we going to do it differently? And I think it really did uh, shake us up in some profound ways, you know, in, in ways of just uh, not just, you know, but the economy, like what kind of economy do you want to build? What kind of like, you know, energy sources are we going to build? I mean, even just stuff that's happening this week, you know, on around oil and the shifting markets around clean energy and oil, uh, you know, racial relations and kind of equity issues, right, came through that whole period too. Uh, uh, you know, political polarization, how we can get through the politics, different the politics shifted in the last year. I mean, all kinds of things happen that, uh, honestly, I think in the big view, the long view of history are going to be seen as a, pos- a po- generally a positive thing. And it also showed the world really connected in new ways. It actually, how the science world kind of rose the occasion and came up with the vaccine. How yeah. just a million kind of things that come out of this that we're gonna we're gonna look back in 10, 20, 30 years and we're gonna say, oh my God, what an amazing moment that was. Uh, and what a cathartic moment, but a good one in the long run. Yeah, I, I think that we have not fully embraced how incredible it was for, um, us to come up with this vaccine in such an accelerated time period. Yeah. Because, you know, what I've learned is um, there's a gentleman uh, named Nigel who's been in biotech. I forget his last name, but he's a friend that I knew about 10 years ago. And I actually heard an old TED talk of his uh, going 10, 15 years back. And he was talking about the RNA uh, mm-hmm. vaccine, uh, or the, I don't know what to call it, but he was the talking M- about the RNA, the RNA the M- tech, the, the, RNA, yeah. the MRA te- technology. Yeah, M- mRNA, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it seems like, you know, to, to your point that this pandemic really kind of burst a bubble that allowed for us to uh, bring forth things, whether it's, you know, a, a new technology or, uh, or, 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 a technology that's been waiting to uh, have its moment or whether it is, you know, reckonings racially and political polarization that we've needed, we needed to kind of bust a bubble in order to, to, uh, to see these things be seen. Yeah, absolutely. I I will even just a little thought experiment too, which is, I also think, you know, we're so lucky lucky weirdly that the pandemic hit in 2020 which is if it would have been just 20 years earlier um a handful of americans like 30 percent of americans would have been online if you just go back to what uh, you know it's just 20 years ago 2000 yeah. um you know the whole world wasn't online basically any, no one in china was online for example i mean anyhow so you'd have this handful of americans were online Whereas here we are 20 years later, we all could jump onto this video streaming, you know, we could go to schools, we could go to work, we could kind of everyone around with the bandwidth and all the connections of that, that wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have even have cracked the first human genome. In 2000, we hadn't even, the first human genome hadn't even been completed. And yet with the pandemic in 2020, we were able to, you know, basically crack the, the genome of the virus as it mutated sure. right in front of our eyes. And the third thing is, you know, the entire global economy crashed 2000. You know, we wouldn't have had clean energy, solar to be able to scale up and kind of electric cars and all the stuff that now that that economy is going to be able to reboot on clean energy and, and on a different kind of energy sources. And in a weird way, just 20 years of difference in history 
really yes. shows you how far we can go in 20 years, but also what we're capable of now. And I think it's that kind of positive reframe of the opportunity that we're facing. That's something I think I hope people really kind of embrace and think about, which is we're, we've got an amazing opportunity here ahead of us and we should make the most of it. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I was was thinking like your background, you've been a journalist, mm -hmm. um, you've been the managing editor or an editor at Wired Magazine, kind of the leader of the whole tech revolution back in the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you've worked with some of the, you know, you've worked with global corporations at, at uh, GBN. Mm -hmm. So now you're taking on something that you're calling the transformation. Mm -hmm. Is this, do you kind of feel like this is a culmination of your experience to get you to kind of think about where we are and uh, and what's possible. Yeah. So let me put a little context. So so when I was in the '90s in the original Wired magazine, yes, I was an editor there, and I was a, a, I was a ran, ended up running it um, as managing editor. But there was a cover story I did there uh, called "The Long Boom" with a guy named Peter Schwartz, who was the the founder, one of the co-founders of. of um, Global Business Network, and he was a scenario planner and a long-term futurist guy, foresight guy. And now the two of us came up with this thing called the long boom. And at the time, in the mid-90s, he was looking ahead to the, till 2020. And it was telling the story of essentially what the digital revolution could, how it might roll out, and how combined with globalization, the world could change in the space of those 25 years. And if you go from when we wrote these stories, you know, it's like, you know, Apple was broke and, you know, Amazon was this goofy startup with a weird name, you know, selling books and stuff. And we were saying, hey, in 25 years, these are going to be running the global economy. I mean, and it's, you know, and here we are with 60 percent of the world online. And we, you know, they, in fact, you got these trillion dollar companies and stuff. Anyhow, stuff like that just from 25 years ago saying, hey, this is going to happen. Anyhow, here we are in 2020. That what later was the cover story went into a book, went into multiple languages, including Chinese and a bunch of stuff. And I've been did a lot of speaking around that in for about a decade there. And so here was 2020. And I thought, you know, I should do another process like this and think through, well, what about the next 25, in this case, 30 years to 2050? And I said, I'm going to basically go interview about 25 world-renowned experts all over the world on this thing. I'm going to do my own thinking about this thing. And I'm going to essentially write the story of the war, America and the world from 2020 to 2050 uh, in a kind of the same way I had done the long boom back in the 90s, looking out to 2020. So anyhow, that is this body of work I did. It's a series of stories right now, six stories in Medium. Um, it's also uh, the topic of a lot of talks I'm now starting to do. Uh, around this topic. But what I was laying out is what's essentially a positive reframe of the potential of what really lies ahead of us in the next 30 years. But we're going to see essentially a transformation, a social transformation, very deep changes in our politics, in our society, to the point where I, I think it will literally probably be seen in the long view of history, let's say in 50 or 100 or you know even 500 years from now, we'll be seeing how we really start shifting to a different kind of civilization that changes are going to be so profound. And so what I call this whole body of work was the transformation. And the, one of the reasons I brought it down to those two words was I think, and this is a kind of trippy way to think, and I don't know if we really want to go there, but I think in many respects, what we're going through now in the world is closer to what the world went through in the Enlightenment way back in kind of the time of in the American context, you know, the founding fathers and 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 the founders of the country, but also in Europe and stuff where we invented, you know, 
financial capitalism and industrial production and carbon energies and representative democracy and nation states and all these concepts that the world is still being built on and running with today were essentially invented about 250 to 300 years ago. And I think we're going to probably in a similar context now going through that level of changes that'll be very, very long potential into the future. And again, it gets a little trippy and it gets a little out there, but I think that is ultimately where I was going. But in the short term, the transformation is about what really lies ahead in just the 10, 20, 30 years here and how much uh, how much positive potential lies ahead and getting people to wrap their heads around what we're able to do, not so much this dystopian worry about, you know, sure. the disasters that lie ahead of us. No, I, 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 I agree with you. Obviously, there's going to be some monkey wrenches during the process oh, yeah. there. True. And you no, know, th- and those monkey wrenches are real because I think a lot of times, you know, when we when we look at long booms, mm-hmm. and congratulations because I think you guys were, you know, you guys nailed, you know, many of the uh, areas that we get to see today. But part of the challenge is that these long booms are really kind of based on a um, kind of a techno vision of yeah. the world, yeah, and. And I think I'm, you mentioned in your uh, in the transformation, you spoke about economic and uh, and technological, you know, those transformations. But I, you know, I consider there to be uh, three legs of the stool, with two of those being a part of it. But it's that third one which I think is the monkey wrench, and 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 it's called humans. <laughs> so th- so it's so it's interesting that you mentioned um the enlightenment period because you know Otto Schumer uh, at MIT who uh, who's written about leadership you know he made he made a statement in one of his books that I think that was right on and that is that you know we find ourselves in a clash between world views right now you know, yeah. so you you have this modernist worldview and, you know, people, you know, we've we've gotten a lot done during, you know, this period. We had, there's a lot of things we can lay our hat on and be very proud of. So there are some proud stakeholders of this modern period. But still, we have um, this postmodern world that seemed to have opened up mm-hmm. uh, where people want to express more of their voices Mm-hmm. Um, um, to really kind of move away from the meta narrative to, you know, something or, that we're seeing as kind of identities, um, and then you have the pre-modern world, which you know we still have to deal with those who are focused in on seeing the world through the supernatural, hmm. you know, and here we are, kind of in this, you know, this bottleneck right now. So you know. How do we, how do we deal with that as a human challenge, as the third piece of the stool, the third leg of the stool? Well, you're raising a really. I like your three three legged stool. Yeah. So I I think you're right in general. I think the technology, I call them. There are inexorable developments happening in the technologies and you can kind of just track them and and the next 30 years are going to have their own version of that which we can get into if we want to but i I agree that's kind of a thing that is going to happen under almost any scenario and then there is the economic activity on that which i also think you can um foresee 
uh, how all these new industries will build and all the different things around that. So those are less problematic. But it's like, what kind of society are we going to build? What kind of politics are going to essentially shape this thing? And and that is the messier, less predictable, more um, often problematic kind of world, too. But that said is, I will say, as someone who has thought a lot about the future and studied the past to actually understand how the future could go, there are some ways to think about the future in human terms differently. And so, for example, let me talk about a few things, which is, for example, one of the the kind of tools of a future is is actually demographics and to think about generational change, for example, is one good one. And I think uh, one of the things I think people are underappreciating at this juncture in history 2020 here is that a lot of the last 40 years has been essentially shaped by baby boomers, essentially, or older folks, even than that. Um, and, and they had a particular way of seeing the world, a particular worldview and a particular politics that came out of that, including right down to kind of, you know, free market capitalism, conservative politics from Reagan to Trump kind of world was, you know, shaped a kind of world, which also is rooted in a lot of religious kind of thinking and a bunch of these kind of ways you were describing there. To my mind, that era is closing Uh, And I think what we're seeing is opening up a different kind of political era based on kind of millennial generation. Let's think of them as 40 and under Gen Z, which is very aligned values wise with with millennials. Um, And I think they're much more, uh, first of all, very uh, passionate about dealing with climate change. They're also very passionate about racial equity. Both those generations are about 50-50 kind of white uh, people of color. Uh, they're much uh, more progressive, you could say, in politics in terms of what they see the role of government is and wealth ex- distribution differently. Anyhow, there's a bunch of things that are, are getting teed up here. And the tipping point has come. It's it's not just, oh, someday these young people are going to drive politics. They're driving the politics now. And I think and so I think there's a kind of a shift here that we're starting to see in our politics in America. And I think it's also a thing in West. And I think it's a global thing, too. So So anyhow, that's one example of, I think. The, what we've come to see as the norm for how humans screw shit up <laughs> through politics or through all the different ways we do that, I, I think there's actually a sea change that's starting to happen. And uh, it's confusing now because we're kind of shifting the context in, in a very quick and dramatic way. But it's going to get clear and clear and clear over this decade that we're moving into a different place uh, around yeah, all I mean- you know, the reason why I use the, the three-legged stool example is because, you know, even in economics right now, and and I should say that even in some of your events that you've you've given, you know, you've mm-hmm. sought to tackle the issues of the future of work and yeah and the issues like that. The challenge Which, would you, is would you, that, would you would you help me? Uh, you were in, yeah, it was great. You were in one I, of those I events too it. that I used your insights of that. But go ahead. That was great. But no, it, it's. I think when you start looking at the economics of it, because what I hear you saying is that demographics is going to play a critical role in, um, in because of shifting attitudes, et cetera. However, you know, we know that, you know, um, the kind of the supernatural uh, world, the pre-modern uh, mindset worldview, um, it's been able to stick around for a reason. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very, you know, powerful uh, uh, influencer of how 
people find a sense of security with their lives. And so mm-hmm. even now, you know, you're, you're beginning to see these clashes and, you know, whether it's on the left, you know, they embrace, you know, uh, kind of hardcore Christian values. And then you have technologists that are, you know, kind of on the, on the left. The challenge that I see is that even from, you know, the, the two stools there, the economics and the technology, um, we're seeing that even though those two things have, you know, taken off and have really benefited, you know, society, um, they're creating K-shaped economies. Um, it's kind of hollowing out the middle class. So my question is, is there something more that we need to do with humans in order to get them more uh, prepared for the future? Um, that we that we seek that the that the that the techno visionaries see because there's a gap there. Well, I think this taps into your theme of leadership. Honestly, I, I think so. So if you're um, one, one way I think about this in history's terms is 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 um, there's these junctures in history, these cusps in history, and, and what at those critical junctures, there's essentially um, certain leaders uh, who start articulating a, a different kind of future that essentially people can 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 see, and and out of these confusing transitions, they start to really see uh, a different kind of future opening up. And I, I think we're in one of those junctures right now. I, I think um, what's interesting is you, you're watching. Uh, I mean, even things like, for example, watching. Uh, Biden, who is considered, you know, one of these old school politicians who, you know, is going to kind of be more of the same of the old kind of thing that we've seen for the last 40 years. And all of a sudden he's, you know, he's, he's kind of articulated a very different kind of framework of government and use of government and climate change. And, and, and you're watching the markets, which had been just, you know, squeeze the profits out of everything in the last 40 years and, you know, skew the benefits to the rich. And, and what's happening right now in the markets is like, you know, they're starting to short, you know, oil companies and they're starting to move money into right. all kinds of new things. And, and so there's these signs. One of the things about the future is you start seeing early signs of these bigger signals. shifts, the signals yeah, of the yeah. future. And what it takes, and this is why I love you, you, the framework of your podcast, is like it takes leaders to say, folks, this is not a one-off thing that's going to blow away and, and it's gone. And just, oh, this week it happened that you know, Shell Oil is being ordered by a court in Europe to kind of, you know, d- dramatically shift its car- carbon footprint or, you know, share, you know, new board of Exxon is now, you know, telling them, you know, taking over the company. And anyhow, sure. it, 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 you know, to overstate it. But on the other hand, this is, wouldn't have happened five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, these are just absurd, crazy things. And now they're happening just so every day. You open the, 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 the kind of thing up. Now, now so, so it takes a lead, leadership to start piecing together that future, but articulating where are we heading? How could this work? How could we get there? How realistic is it? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. I mean, there's a bunch of framing like that. And I think that's what we're starting to see more of. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a sizable number of people rooted in the status quo who are going to do everything they can to slow it down and screw it up. 
Um, and I think what's been interesting about American society is I would say the last 10 years, we've kind of been in this 50-50 split-ish thing that has essentially paralyzed the country. Um, but to my mind, and I think Trump was the last piece that pushed over the edge, is I, I think it's flipped. I, I think I think we that we've hit the tipping point. I think there is now going to we're shifting towards about a 60, 40 kind of kind of shift in in the American electorate. And, and when I say it's not just about voting, it's about, you know, belief in, you know, we got to do some of climate change. We got to spread wealth differently. We got to deal with racial inequities differently. You know, that thing is growing and moving towards what will be, you know, roughly, let's say, 60 percent of society. They're always going to be 40 percent of society. It's going to be not jobs. It's America. You know, it's been like every time. But uh, <laughs> but 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 it's not going to be the 50 50 thing. And so even though we're seeing the last gasp of that thing hanging on, it's shifting. Now, what? Uh, so, so this is one of those moments we're in where leadership is really required to help articulate this thing. And, and this is it. And that's partly, to be honest, what I was trying to do with the transformation is just is to show the story of the next 30 years in a different framework. And if, in that story in, in Medium, which you can read, it's you know, six stories if everyone wants to do it, but the, uh, it, it's essentially a story of told from 2100 of a character, a Gen Z kid who's about 20 now, born in 2000. I, I love the name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, the name is kind of re re remember, uh, kind of memorable name, Stuart. It, it reminds people of Stuart Brand, a yes. current, current guy today, who's an amazing original thinker, future yep. guy. Um, anyhow, in 2100, it's looking back, this this young guy is now 100 years old, it's 2100, who, by the way, all this generation will live to 100 years old plus, uh, given what we know in healthcare and genetics and all the stuff we'll know. Uh, anyhow, he's looking back and just telling the story of what happened from 2020 to 2050, those 30 critical years where we got a handle on climate change, we turned the corner on climate change, where we did actually get beyond this political polarization and changed our politics, where we did distribute wealth differently and evolve capitalism in a more sustainable way, where we did deal with racial inequities and come up with a third reconstruction where we finally built a society where, you know, everybody is has equal opportunity going forward. Anyhow, now, is it pie in the sky? You know, you could challenge it. But on the other hand, everything was rooted in pot, things that are already the seeds are there. They're starting to open up. And it was just trying to breathe life into them, show how it works, how it could come together, how it's not, you know, how, how this could happen. Just like I did, by the way, in the mid 90s, trying to say, hey, this thing, Amazon, this, you know, these things are going to be big. Absolutely. Hey, you know what? China, this goofball kind of country that was been floundering around for 100 years, they're going to be a superpower in 25 years. Anyhow, and that stuff happens. And you can kind of see the it's not like it's it's not a total prediction, like down to like, hey, you know, this is exactly what's going to happen. But you can see the general outlines of history. And I would say um, you can see it now. And I can think I think we're moving in a much more positive direction than most people see. So well, I think that's the value of your work that you're doing. Um, and the reason why I wanted you on here is because I actually I think that you're making a very um, nice uh, presumption about how leaders are beginning to like see the future. Right. Because I think that's that's part of the challenge is that um, leaders right now. Um, they need to be trained more like futurists so that they themselves can feel comfortable about how to communicate the future to other stakeholders. 
because um, that's that's really one of the challenges right now is that um, you speak of a, about positive futures. Well, it's much easier to default and work from um, negative futures because you play on people's you know fears and and the oldest part of our brain, the amygdala, yeah. it loves that. that that's oh, what yeah. it wants. You know, so th- this is a skill uh, that that has to be embraced as part of one of many transformative practices that here on Leadership Disrupted, we're seeking to uh, bring forth, you know, to the leadership community and to people who in their work need to, to practice a different type of leadership. Yeah, I, I, I love that frame. And I think you're absolutely right about the future thing. Um, a couple of things about it is it is as someone who has written scenarios about the future and been in companies doing that and helping executives think about the future, it is always easier to spin out a scenario of disaster and problems and it gets everything. I mean, because how hard is it to knock over, you know, a, a house of cards? You just you know, blow it over, right? How hard is it to build a house of cards? It's hard, actually. So, so the thing is, it's just easy to do. And so what do you see? You see all the movies about the future. Almost all of them are dystopian. dystopian. Almost <laughs> all of the, you know, the yep. articles about what's ahead in the economy, what's ahead in the pandemic. It's just the sky's falling. It's horrible. It's all going to be worse. And you're right. It taps into people's fears. People kind of read that stuff because they're freaking out. So there's a there's essentially the system that we live in, i.e. media ecosystem and the entertainment ecosystem and everything is, is just completely geared towards that negative framing of the future. Um, so when you talk about leaders, I like this idea of in the face of that zeitgeist of fear of the future, you what you need are leaders who can say, no, I, I, I use the phrase positive reframe. It's like the positive reframe of what's really going on. So, so one of the things that you, you're kind of doing on this, in this uh, podcast, it seems like, is what's really going on is the first piece before you even get to the future. And what happens is most people in the news and the media and stuff like that says what's going on is a mess. It's a disaster. It's all screwed up. That is just, to me, not accurate. I mean, sometimes it is, and there's times where things are going wrong, for sure. But in general, the positive things that are going on around us are often not highlighted in media. They're not called out in kind of, you know, all this kind of stuff, social media and all that we know for all these built-in reasons. And um, and so people are not really seeing what's really happening and what's really sure, sure. going in a positive way. So there's a positive reframe of our present is the first thing. And the second thing is, what you need is people, and they don't have the skills to do this, so it's hard to do. But that said is you can then breathe life into a more positive future. And so one of the things, one, one of the reasons, let's say, um, uh, technology entrepreneurs get paid so well or are so kind of or, or kind of uh, is that they're all positive about the future. Uh, and, and the reason is, despite what anyone says or investors say, is like, you know, everyone's saying you'll never make that company work. It's never going to happen. There's no way people are going to buy this. There's no way this technology is going to work. Anyhow, there's always a million chorus of naysayers, but it's the person or the team, you could say, or the company that just keeps out and says, no, I'm just, we're going to make this thing work because I know this can happen. Or, you know, anyhow, it's that doggedness. It's that kind of vision of the future. It's that kind of commitment to making it happen that is rewarded through leadership. 
And in our current economic situation, that often brings big uh, economic rewards, which we can, you know, evolve and do differently, I guess, in the future. But the point is, the point is the value of leadership in terms of driving, getting people mobilized for a more positive future, whether it's a positive future for a company or an economy or a country or whatever, those that that value set is huge. And it's completely uh, in most uh, it's, it's in short supply and it needs to be developed much better in the kind of leadership ecosystem. And I think Absolutely. you're on to something there in terms of uh, leadership disrupted one, the new leadership needs one good component, which is get a much better handle on what's possible, not always going to happen, but what is, this is why when I say about the future, I think about two things, what's probable, like if you just had the default of rolling ahead, and what's possible. And to me, the possible is where leaders come in, which is, hey, given our technologies and given what we know now and all that, what could we do in the future? And that thing is what leaders then strive for, articulate, mobilize around, get people focused on and get us doing. Because we don't want the default future of just more of the same. We want a better future. And it's that better future that is about leadership moving us towards a better outcome, whether it's in your little unit of your team in your company or your company that you formed or your school or your whatever it is, or a country or even a, you know, a bigger thing like, hey, we got to solve climate change. Anyhow, it's, it's leadership now is finding and seeing that positive future and then mobilizing people to get there, I think. Thank you, Peter. Now, please join us for a second episode where we discuss Peter's thought piece called The Transformation. <laughs>